0: few thoughts came to mind during the day which actually I'm going to perhaps talk about, I jotted them down but something else came to mind during the meditation so um, put those thoughts to one side that came during the day, maybe they'll come up later Um, for some of you um, this is old hat, this kind of a meditation retreat experience. sort <laughs> yes, of professional retreatants. And uh, for others, it's, uh, it's the first time that you've done this sort of thing. And uh, I just feel like I'd like to really encourage people for the first time, or if it's a new experience, or if it's challenging, because... I feel it, to actually, it's, it's not hugely dynamic or exciting, generally speaking, this kind of an experience. It, it requires a lot of endurance, really, um, to be with not very easy physical or mental conditions. But in the willingness to actually just be with some of this uh, the stuff that comes to us during the day, we build some strength. Um, if we respond to life uh, from the position of always seeking the pleasing, which is, has its benefit, I mean, there's, there's something nice about that, but if we habitually do that, then uh, it's more difficult sometimes for us to draw on a, inner strength when, when, that's, when a situation might demand that. So even if it doesn't yield brilliant insights, this kind of experience, it does build a foundation of just a a willingness just to, when the mind says, I can't take another moment, (laughs) to know that one can take another moment and just to stretch our sense of patience that bit more. and sometimes in our life it's important, perhaps not on a meditation retreat when we have all this support, but sometimes it's crucial for us to be able to stretch that bit, to just take something that we feel we can't take, uh, because the other choices that we have might be profoundly disruptive or not very helpful. and seeing something that we have started seeing it through trusting the process, seeing it through to the completion is also is also helpful so that we can get a sense for going being through different phases of an experience like this story that came to mind when I was meditating tonight I don't quite know a bit like Kilisaro's stories yesterday, they're not so humorous actually, <laughs> uh, I'm mean, sort of more the heavy dude I suppose, but uh, <laughs> so that's the way I am, <laughs> but anyhow, they came to mind so i expressed express them, um, but actually they're, they're lovely too, As uh, stories of someone that has influenced me enormously uh, in my life, spiritual life, which has been um, a great saint in India called named Baba, uh, who um, was one of these beings that was just hugely sort of extraordinary. He never really had any particular teachings uh, or uh, any, even any particular practices, he would give practices to people um, he's mostly known through Ramdas, who talks about him a lot, and through a book called Miracle of Love, which recorded a lot of the people's experience with this this being who just um, his main message was of love. Um, and he's had enormous power, power of love, but uh, power of truth. And people would you know, just have very Transformative experiences around him, um, and all sorts of miracles were constantly happening around him, which he was constantly pretending they weren't. So he <laughs> he didn't like people. He he wasn't famous. He didn't like. He didn't attract much fame. And he lived very simply. He just had a blanket and a water Lota, uh, water carrier, and that's basically all he had and he would sort of appear and disappear, and if people, disciples got too attached to him, he just literally would disappear, go to the loo and disappear. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just thousands of stories of of him sort of appearing and disappearing. There's another story once when he was loitering, just kind of somehow, I don't know, just loitering somewhere and the police arrested him not knowing who he was and they locked him in jail. And they went the next day and he'd gone. (laughs) Uh, all sorts of uh, amazing stories about there was another one when he was went into an Indian barber shop for a shave and uh, they have these very archaic kind of uh, barber shops in India and they were lathering him up Mm. and he's sitting there squatting and the other guy this old barber was shaving him and as he was shaving him the old man was telling him how sad he was that he hadn't seen his son for years his son had disappeared and and he was just, you know, getting old and, and just this really heart rending story. So Maharaji sort of leaps up and said, Hang on a minute, <laughs> rushes out and then comes back five minutes later and the guy finishes his shave. A few days later the son turns up and the father says, to The old barber, You know, how come you've come, my son, you've come back? And he said, Well it was really strange. I was in a town a few hundred miles away and suddenly this fat old man came running down the street with half his fear (laughs) shaved. gave me some money and said, go and see your father. (laughs) So, it gives you sort of an idea of the possible realms that we have yet perhaps to learn about. And there's just so many, many stories, like, and just very simple stories like he went to an Indian jail, um, which are very heavy places. And uh, the superintendent, or whatever, of the jail w- was a bit of a heavy character, and the the the, um, the men, the prisoners, were putting on a play, um, Ram, a Ram Leela, a play about Ram, and uh, their deity, of God, the incarnation of God, and one of the prisoners was playing Ram. And Maharaji said to the superintendent, he said, you know, this man, he said, he's, he's playing Ram, you must bow to him, you must touch his feet. He's, he's divine. <laughs> so he made the superintendent touch this prisoner's feet. So there's all, all these stories like this, how he would sort of just uh, kind of uh, move people. In, in the ashram, people would walk past and he'd turn around and scream out something to them and they'd kind of you know, get a bit of a surprise and and he'd, he'd just say, well, I'm just telling people what's in their minds, they don't always like to hear it and he, he just, just sort of had this way of just directly um, connecting extraordinary being uh, and with a tremendous message of faith and love um, and the power of uh, Of of just someone in that that state of realization. But towards the end of his life is quite a poignant story Um, when he's on a train, he gets on a train, actually it's his last last day incarnated in in his bodily form (coughs) and he's on the train and he gets some devotees and they sit down on the train and it's an all-night journey like these long train drives are and, and they're going along in the train and these two devotees start to fall asleep and all night is speaking to them, speaking to them, but they're falling asleep and everyone's asleep in the carriages, all snoring and fast asleep. And he wakes one of them up and he says, look, he says, you're all asleep, this world is asleep, everyone's asleep. And the way he's saying it is like, you know, this is the way it is. uh, He's like, you get this real poignancy of someone that just kind of is so there and then he's just seeing the world around him kind of in maya or in asleep or in delusion and and he says this is my last day in central jail (laughs) (laughs) which is an interesting way of talking about this plane of existence and uh, he gets off the train and uh, somehow disappears so his devotees don't know he's gone and he has kind of a massive seeming heart attack and they rush him off to the hospital and no one knows who he is because it's said if a devotee says to him you know don't die then it's very hard for him to die he has to kind of stay embodied so they rush him off to hospital and they're putting oxygen masks and and he just rips off the oxygen mask and he says it's useless Uh, what does he say? Lord of the Universe or something. Hail the Lord of the Universe and then he dies. <laughs> something like that. I think it's Hail the Lord of the Universe and gone. That This whole whole um, sense of uh, the way he would operate in this realm and yet this appreciation for the pain of it, the, the difficulty of it. In the same way the Buddha uh, talked about the the saha realm called this the saha realm, which means the realm of 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 pain, the realm of difficult to bear, that which is hard, um, which is it has many sufferings. And I was contemplating as well, and I was contemplating this story tonight, this this uh, this side of our reality, uh, this side of our experience, how just naturally, without Uh, The distortions of ego operating that can create so many problems just in a natural way the poignancy of life and death, the the separation and we were recently with um, a friend of ours uh, who died of AIDS and I was just contemplating that this this person's life died when he was about 33 I think and how he uh, he was a very um, loving, sweet person, and his his sort of his whole adult life he just wanted to enjoy himself, he just was really out to to have a good time he, didn't, he wasn't really sort of a serious meditator or a great philosopher or anything like that he just wanted to have a good time and he he had a you know, he's, he's, you know it just seemed like a poignancy to see this person that that was kind of stricken by this disease and emaciated and dying, with this 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 um, body and this being so strong and all this potential that he had and all this you know, this love of life, um, and sort of whittled down to to a skeleton, the body covered in sores and going blind and going senile and and just, realizing that, you know, one, how do you deal with that? How do you sort of, you know, you, rationally, you can't rationalize it. I'm just seeing the family struggling to try and deal with it, and accept, you know, trying to, and they're a very aware family, trying to incorporate that. Uh, you know, it's their young son, just, you know, like young people wanting to have a great time, and then, then having this appear in their life. And that's the way it is sometimes that this in this Sahara realm, it's it's it has this this side to it. I had the same um, situation with my younger brother who died in a motorbike accident. And uh, I was contemplating that tonight, uh, sort of again, this uh, uh, this uncertainty. He went out, his first big trip away from home, eighteen. And it wasn't in, he hadn't had a particularly easy time with uh, my parents at that stage. And, uh, and we don't exactly know what happened because i didn't find his body for five days, but it seems that he was that there was a big storm on the road, and the motorbike slid off the road and hit a uh, he hit a tree and um, as he hit the tree his neck broke and basically he died pretty instantly and funnily enough at the time he died I had a, a dream um, and it was a strange time of day because I just actually I was cooking on a meditation retreat <laughs> which was one of my big occupations in those days and I went to sleep just, I just suddenly felt tired I just fell asleep and I had this dream where I couldn't breathe and I couldn't breathe and I and I dreamt and I just had this very strong feeling I was dying and uh, I actually dreamed that I had died. And then the next thought was, that's strange, I've, I've actually died, but I'm still here. Which is kind of what I think he felt. And I woke up trying to breathe, and I think that was the, the moment um, of his death. And I was feeling his, his consciousness sort of disturbed, shaken afterwards, like he was trying not, he didn't know, didn't know he died. But then, but th- this this kind of contemplation on just how these things happen—not you know one can say, oh, it's karma or grace or who knows what—you know <laughs> these words that we come out with—but ultimately, there's this sense that that in this realm, that these things are possible. Uh, these, these these you know people that I mentioned, uh, you know in themselves were. Um, there was nothing evil or bad, there just something beautiful in them with a lot of potential. But you see, it's, it's not an easy realm, it's a, an uncertain realm, and it has its sufferings. And yet it has its beauties. And it's this strange, like Stephen Levine talks about, how does one keep one's heart open in, in hell? And that's what it feels like sometimes when you contemplate that side. Uh, the poignancy of sangsara. And then also there's this this beautiful, wondrous side that we have where we can share um, beautiful human feelings and, and a beautiful uh, s- sense of spirit. And there's courage and there's um, kindness. And sometimes in spite of the fact that it can seem very grey, just little gestures that people make can be very healing, very supportive, very encouraging. Someone smiles in the supermarket. <laughs> or, you know, someone kind of looks out for you or sends you something. These kind of gestures of kindness uh, are also there, are also important. But what I w- actually wanted to get onto a little bit tonight was that that these natural, I suppose, or lawful things that happen unexpectedly are something that are difficult, but one can work with them. One can't always have a rational reason why these things happen, but one can work with them. But I I wanted to relate somehow how this practice, although it might not seem very dramatic, is i feel very profoundly significant because we begin to get in touch with some of the tendencies of mind tendencies of ego that if they're not really understood can be can create even more unnecessary pain in our lives and there's already enough <laughs> to cope with just from the natural run of things and not only in our own personal lives but in 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 the, the world around us has been in a way if you look at the distortions how e- ego consciousness that's been that has no wisdom in it or compassion in it or sensitivity in it has created havoc in in, in various religions and institutions and in the business world and the political world and there's there's a desire for for gaining or of, of, of just the, the consumption of materials and, and the, the greed and the fear and how these tendencies, although we could perhaps see them expressed externally, you know, and point to them sometimes when we look at an institution or a political person, um, we can also see as we meditate that, that we can also, perhaps not to such extreme degrees, but we can also have these tendencies Uh, and if they're not understood or or worked with, they can bring a lot of unhappiness, not only to the world around, but also just on a personal level in our relationships. sometimes just the obstruction of of pride or the fear, the, the rigidity and control that can happen because of fear in relationships can just mean so much love lost so much potential, potential uh, enjoyment and, sh- and that's a very sad situation uh, that, that we have to really um, in a way work, it, work against because if we, if we don't become aware of these these uh, tendencies, conscious of them purify them, they can actually become more ingrained, more rigid so one very helpful teaching that the Buddha gave in terms of actually beginning out to locate at least some of these what they call Sankharas or tendencies of heart and mind that can surface in various ways. He gave, he gave the, the outline of the three characteristics of existence which we've been contemplating. Anicca or change which we've been looking at which helps one to at least loosen one's hold a little bit to contemplate the reality of change dukkha, the sense of unsatisfactoriness, or the unsatisfactoriness that comes from misunderstanding or or clinging. Um, But perhaps one of the most subtle, or more difficult um, um, insights that the Buddha talked about was the insight of anatta. Anatta which means non-self, or not really finding a permanent abiding self in any of the changing um, condition phenomenon that we experience. And this is perhaps, in a way, one of the more challenging aspects of the teaching for us to really investigate. And it's hugely challenging for um, for, the, for generally, for, for, our, for our culture, which is so much built around uh, a sense of ego structure but once we start to get a feeling for actually anatta and not self or not having to take everything so personally we can allow more space for some of the aspects of mind to to be there that we wouldn't actually like to 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 accept into consciousness for example I find a um we were talking tonight at tea about how some of the um the pettiness that can appear in the mind when someone's saying that they go to a sh- if they go and have a shower maybe at five o'clock in the morning and someone else has taken the shower before them or the bathroom you can see this tendency of mine to sort of feel a bit aggressive or someone's on my patch or. Or when someone comes, you come into the room and someone's on your sitting cloth or your sitting mat, then, then one can get this sense. And there can be a sense that can arise in our mind of not really wanting to accept that. Yeah, that's very petty. I mean, I should be very generous and giving, and, of course, it's lovely if a person has my seat, and... <laughs> but that's not what we really feel. But if we take it very personally, then we, we can't really just contemplate that feeling. So in this Insight Meditation, when we start to think, see things more through the, the view of a without uh, empty of, of really finding a sense of, well, this is what I am, we can say, well, that's interesting. Mm. That's an interesting reaction. Here we can understand, in a very small situation like that, the whole sense of, of um, owning something, which creates, I mean, we can feel it in a very small way, my patch, my territory, but that's the, very, that's the very energy that creates Bosnia or uh, the Yugoslavia situation that creates you know, so much, so much uh, strife. So although we might think on some levels, well, this practice isn't related perhaps to the, the real world, I actually feel that that it has a very profound application. It's really going to the root of what is human ignorance? How do we create these unbelievable, unimaginable, horrendous <laughs> amounts of suffering, unnecessary suffering, on top of the already difficult situation. Uh, how do we do that? You know, it's just, you know, when you see the things that we've done over the course of human history, in sometimes in the name of God and right, and it's just, it's just staggering. It's just staggeringly ignorant but then we can't divorce ourselves from from being a participant in, to a certain extent of, of some of that energy we have to you know it's, it takes sort of courage to begin to able to admit perhaps our own feelings of violence or aggression or the fear or the aversion or, uh, and often if we don't we don't really like to acknowledge these and they t- ten, tends to come around and hit us full in the face at some stage or other usually when we're not expecting it we find ourselves overwhelmed with with rage or anger so as the in the insight not that there's someone was saying that you know, we sit down and we expect all our demons to appear on the doorstep because that's not necessarily how it works but just as a day-to-day moment-to-moment practice we can start to allow in the Vipassana instead of being so personally threatened by the different states or taking them so personally we can begin to realize mind is not self, thought is not self, feeling is not self that doesn't mean to say that we disown so it's not self, I don't want anything to do with it it's it's more, it's different, it's a different movement, It's it's, it's not the movement of Disowning or projecting, because that also has its dangers, and it's not the movement of oh, "I can't possibly, I'm such a spiritual person." I can't possibly mm-hmm. you know, have this huge amount of hatred welling <laughs> up in my. <laughs> um, but we can say, "Well, this is this is part of the for whatever reason, wherever it came from, this is part of what's presented to to work with." And sometimes we know where those, perhaps we can trace where that those <coughs> those. Uh, energies come from, sometimes we can't. It's uncertain. So these tendencies, Sankara, the Buddha said some Sankaras are like uh, lines drawn on water. They're very light. Something comes up in the heart, maybe a feeling, a very subtle feeling of worry and if the mindfulness is strong, the attention is strong, that will come. And it's, it's, it, it, it's just the clear seeing of that allows it to dissolve. Oh, no problem. No worry, no problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other things, he said, are like lines drawn in the sand. There's some worry. ah, oh, no problem. Oh, oh, hang on. <laughs> it's not dissolving so quickly. We'd like it to just... You know, someone said that... Uh, um, feeling that you've accepted something sometimes you feel well, then it should go you know i've done my work go when it doesn't you know it's it's an old habit and it's not going to go it's going to be there and so we have to be patient and then he says some sankharas are like lines drawn in rock <laughs> bad news <laughs> so some of these tendencies i mean very primordial and this is where we need a lot of compassion for ourselves. You think, well, in ten days, I should be able to wipe it all out, you know, <laughs> <laughs> go out joyful, free. And you know, my experience—I mean, for some people, apparently that's the case, but <laughs> but for me, that's that's not been the case. That's not been the case. And you just realise it's just one has to have a lot of kindness, uh, and spaciousness, patience with some of these. Uh, feelings of fear, or, or uncertainty, or, or uh, anxieties, or, or, or I have this very, I think people can probably relate to this, this sort of wipavatanna, they call it, desire not to exist. Sometimes I, I can feel that, it's not like I want to go and kill myself or anything, but just this kind of sense of not really wanting to be here, and that's mm-hmm. one of the root you know sort of with ignorance it's one of the root energies that operate you you think well we should wipe it out in a few days it's not realistic you see that this ancient tendency to ignore not to want to be with things to just kind of check out somehow I had that so profoundly for many years I think because you know if one appreciates or opens through whatever reasons to you know, the struggle of life then initially one wants just to to somehow check out and sometimes we try it through pleasure or through drinking or through drugs or through meditation or and I remember when I used to first hear about the Bodhisattva vows I used to think, God, you know, that's terrible you vow to be here forever until the last blade of grass I just can't bear it You know, <laughs> I don't want to know about that And uh, and then I landed up, um, but part of me felt, no, you know, that sounds like a good thing. I should really sort of develop the Bodhisattva heart. Oh, no, you know, I just want to get out. A real Hinayana. And uh, (laughs) I found myself with the, the Dalai Lama giving the bodhisattva vows and I'm sitting there going, oh no, I think I've taken the bodhisattva vows, oh my god. <laughs> That's it, is in armour? Oh my god. So, you know, I signed on the dotted line. <laughs> I said I'm in for aeons, oh no. <laughs> you feel this, this kind of dread come up, this sort of screaming voice. You know. <laughs> and uh, I just, I mean, it just... <laughs> And they're all views from a come from a self view. I mean, ultimately, there's no one anyway, sort of going anywhere. So they say, but, you know, just, but just just uh, just seeing actually that that notion of the bodhisattva, although it has a very a great beauty to it, because it just has this patience, just like well, however long it takes, you know, rather than me in for the next two thousand aeons, you know, which is sort of like a, a self view. And you realise ultimately, there's there's you know. As Chah said, don't be an Arahant, don't be a Bodhisattva, don't be anything, you know, just just keep letting go, and just keep being with the moments as they arise, don't make a problem out of, of, you know, whether you're a Bodhisattva or not, but there's just this sort of notion of just, well, however long it takes just to be patient with the different formations, with the, the, sort of some of the feelings that, that just don't disappear overnight, with, with with some of the difficulty, just allowing the heart to say, not patient with myself, patient with others. Um, Feeling you don't have to go and convert everyone. Just say, we're just patient with the way way things are. And the irony is, as we start to let go of self, the holding of self, however subtle that realization becomes, or however obvious it is, sometimes it's more obvious than, than others. I mean, we locate sometimes the sense of holding by just that feeling of dukkha. We can feel, what is it? Where am I holding? What's, what's going on? And then as we start to let go, sometimes people think in Buddhism, if you, if you say, well, there's no self, you just land up in this dry, arid, kind of nihilistic kind of zone, like a no-man's land, like a desert. Uh, there's no self, there's nothing, you know, no feeling, I'm not going to feel anything. But my experience is that rather than landing up in some arid state, the, the letting go, the, the non-grasping, if you like, of self view. You know, the real like the, the deepening of the understanding of anatta, allows a more unified state to appear, rather than sort of a sense of me and you, um, the, the sort of separateness that we feel there's more in allowing for a sense of the whole uh, it allows also for the sense of time the point where we actually allow time to dissolve memory perception realizing these things are relative or conditioned but they are they're, they're also limited so the, when we chant perception is not self realizing how conditioned our perceptions are if we think of Kisara or different people in the room we have perception and it creates a kind of reality but from a meditative point of view perception is also a relative changing unreliable thing so this this teaching, I mean, I'm still contemplating it but I feel it's probably one of the most essential revolutionary teachings of Buddhism I think this teaching of Anatta shunyata, really looking at how we create and hold uh, a sense of separate self. and I'm I'm not talking about the plane of the individual, which we touched on, which, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, well, what's your name? I say, well, I don't have a name, I'm just a timelessly (laughs) dwelling, (laughs) cosmic, (laughs) here and now being, you know, so that's very nice for you. But, uh, I mean, that's, ultimately that's true. But then we say, well, my name is Tanisra or Mary, and I live here, and I do that, and all the rest of it. Uh, so that is a, the relative plane also has its, has its truth, has its needs to not be just denied. But if that's all that, you know, if there's no, in a way the meditation is taking us, if you like, beyond the appearance, to investigate beyond the appearance. I think that's more or less what I wanted to say tonight. So I was saying last night, just these simple—not not necessarily easy, but simple—structure that the Buddha gave for the characteristics of existence, that which comes into existence, arises and passes. Nietzsche, the impermanence, dukkha—the feeling or the sense of, of of dukkha or or, or, or dis ease that comes from not seeing clearly the moments of our life and that are these three characteristics were considered said to be contemplated um, over and over again until we realize them more and more profoundly for our welfare for our ease of mind for the benefit not only of ourselves but for our families and our communities for the whole. So, perhaps we can leave it there for tonight. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.